Welcome to Lost in the Desert, episode 22. Today we have a special guest, uh, Ms. Sarah Hassan, Sunni's activist, beloved by ooh, all. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, let's not... <laughs> that word now <laughs> well really people think people people think of you as you know one of the pillars of our community especially for the diaspora that is awkward really yeah okay I how would you describe yourself then person person okay person. fair enough <laughs> all right how about this very special sudanese person Thank better you. there we go <laughs> beloved in our community just uh sara really um really grateful you're able to come here thank you um, for having me i feel like this was a little overdue but i but where we were in the show, just the the conversation is overdue. Mm. There you go. The converse, having this conversation about Sudan, what's currently going on, is a bit overdue for us on the show. But when all this was happening, happening, and you know what all Sudanese people were dealing through, I feel like I wasn't really mentally ready to have it, and yeah. the show wasn't really. We were still, you know, learning and getting um, comfortable. So I think now is a good time to have that conversation, especially because sadly, I feel like. Um, the noise is sort of dying down. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say that I was going to say like the first three months, I don't think any of us knew what was going on. Like mm-hmm. just the, the sheer shock and then having people at home to worry about and all of that. I don't think I was in any position. I, I mean, I've been covering it since the beginning, but it's literally just been, okay, what happened today? And then listing it out, but there's no processing happening. You still have your, I still, you still have the, your like a uh, daily or daily or every two day recaps that you have. And it'll be like yeah. day 140 something day. One, I'm like, damn, she's been doing this for a while. It's wild. It's wild. But at the same time, like, I think I'm, I'm still in shock and I'm, I've been trying to use the recaps to sort of process things, but there's no processing happening. It's just like, oh, I can't believe it's day. Today is day 130. I can't believe it's been 130 Jeez. days of this. Right. Man, a hundred and thirty freaking days. It's wild. Of war is yeah, is what um, we're talking about. So, for context, guys, for people who don't know, obviously Sudanese people listening to this are probably gonna know. For you, right. the rest of you guys, uh, Sudan is a little country. Sorry, it's a big country <laughs> yeah. with little coverage, uh, right underneath Facts. Egypt, northeast Africa. Um, we are currently experiencing a civil war slash internal conflict just between our military group our main military the sudanese and the rapid support forces which is a paramilitary and for those who also don't know a paramilitary is an organization structured similar to military operates similar to military with kind of permissions like it you know permissions given usually internally but are not obviously associated Mm -hmm. like directly Um, so today we're just going to talk about um, what is going on we'll get a little brief history of sudan um, what is going on what the conflict is how it started and you know how we can resolve and what the Sudanese people are going through so uh, appreciate you guys just stick through stick through to the end really learn something new because we don't get much we don't get much of any coverage it was like right. a month of the media and it's usually like even. three pages not <laughs> third even pages yeah. or something. so um let's talk about Sudan right so Sudan is a country that's really is a East African country um ex-British colony um, and as most, you know, countries that, you know, that were colonized, you know, just in complete turmoil as soon as yeah. it's been, it's been downhill since the fifties, right? Since we gained since, independence. Since 1956, pretty yeah, much. It's yeah, It's been pretty, it's been pretty downhill. Um, we've had multiple, um, multiple, uh, you know, militaries, presidential regime, you know, taking over the country. Al-Bashir is probably the worst. Um, yeah. what do you, 
from your perspective, um, what do you think is probably been the the biggest consequence of having al-Bashir? Um, I mean... Kind of led up to this, at least. Let me count the ways. Like, <laughs> there's been <laughs> so many uh, just devastating impacts from 30 years of being under military rule. For one, you have, I mean, if we're looking at it from an American perspective, the complete lack of democracy and free speech, and then think about like generations growing up with no concept of what it is to even be able to speak your opinion, right? Okay. Um, you also have 30 years of active destruction of like institutional um, aspects of the country. So for example, you know, part of part of the Bashir regime's claim to power, their way of holding on to power was to make sure that everything was internal, right? right? So even if you work within the government, you don't really have access to services the way that people who are in leadership do, right? You are always under the the threat, I guess, of of your that service being stripped away your whatever little right you have being stripped away um and they you know i mean before let, we had maybe two years of a democratic government from i want to say 81 uh until 83 and then a different like oh that's the generation where the that's the generation with, play, with where like our parents like just brag about sudan they tell you right, they, they tell you right. the 80s you know the 80s was it right and, and then after that it's like yeah you know. <laughs> But then, you know, then you have al-Bashir coming in in 89 and completely dismantling any semblance of, like, structure there, right? And everything becomes this internal mob control, right? Where mm -hmm. you have a few leaders who have control over everything and they divvy up the profits of whatever they get. We had uh, oil, we were an oil-rich country, and that we did, the people didn't see any any of that, right? Um, so many different natural resources that Sudan has were completely exploited by the Bashir regime, right? And so then you have from '89 to 2019, 30 years of just brutality. People are living uh, in silence, but also in fear, right? You have everything centralized in the capital Khartoum. That's where the government lives. That's where the president is. That's where all the services are to the detriment of the rest of the country. The rest of the country has nothing, mm -hmm. by and large, ha has nothing. Then you have, um, you know, there are a lot of different reasons why people think these different internal conflicts uh, started across Sudan. But, but one of the arguments is that you have these areas that are rich with natural resources, like the West in Darfur, like uh, Blue Nile in the South, and then you have wars starting there, started by the military government, right? And that's, I think, I mean, the Darfur conflict is like the most famous. It's the one, yeah, everybody the, talks about. Right. It's been covered on the news for when years. When I came here for college, that was the first thing anybody said to me. Where are you from? I'm from Sudan. Darfur, <laughs> right? It, w it was like that. Like, that's how famous it was. They didn't know where Sudan was. Darfur. Yeah, but it, they just knew that that one word. Yeah, how close are you to Darfur? All that stuff right. did you see? I'm like, no, bro. Sudan's a huge country. It's, it's right. like bigger than Texas, Massive, I think. Right? Right. Like, come on. Um, so, yeah. So, you have things like the conflicts, like the Darfur conflict. And that's where 
this rapid support forces that we talked about earlier, that's where they're born, right? The Bashir government decides we need another force to fight this war for us. And also sort of hide accountability as well, like minimize accountability. Like we all know they have something to do with setting it up. However, because if they're not officially tied, it's sort of little... You can you can argue that oh this is just a tribal conflict right and mm-hmm. that's kind of what how people um, painted it how it was painted in the media at, at at some point in time that this is just a tribal conflict these are people fighting amongst themselves we have nothing to do with this whatever whatever but anyway you have twenty years of that right at which point um, or at some point within that twenty years Bashir decides oh this. Rapid support forces. At the time, that's not what they were called. They were called the Janjaweed, right? Mm-hmm. These Janjaweed have done so well for me, right? They fought my war for me. Um, I'm I'm going to now legitimize them. That is how I'm going to reward MAT, who's the leader of this group. Right. This is how I'm going to reward him. I'm going to make his gr- this band of whatever. I'm going to make them into an official force, right? That's when the rapid support forces. That name comes in. Okay. That's actually very interesting. I still, th- I was still under like for a long time under the inf- under the. Con- I thought the Genjiweed were still their own thing, and some of them broke off. I didn't know it was the whole thing. So well, part of my little ignorance here. I mean, it's 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 a complicated situation. I think it was one group, and then it split into two. This was before, but eventually Hemeti rose as like Al Bashir's weapon, right? Became very close to Al Bashir. Yeah, he, I mean, he used his main his main yeah. sidekick, I guess. Yeah, basically. Um, Bashir used him, and he used to call him Himaiti, which means my protection. Yeah. Himaya. Right. (laughs) So, literally, he's protecting me. He's keeping me in power, right? And the way, like I said, the way to reward him is to give him now this uh, official title. You are now leader of the Rapid Support Forces, which is, you know, part of the Sudanese government in some way. Anyway, we can fast forward to all of that. Yeah, we can do all of that. Now, 2023 kicks in. Well, before 2023. Oh, okay. Now that, that. 2019 kicks in. Twenty uh, December 2018. Sudanese people have had enough. 30 years. They said screw it. Right. Of 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 not only oppression but also active active resistance against that oppression. Right. And you've had people who were uh, uh, killed, assassinated, exiled. You have. I mean, these 30 years, people weren't just sitting around taking and it, it. Right. And it was very quick. It just. Because I remember I was, so I grew up my entire life. I grew up, I was, even though I was born in the US, right? Basically from like six onwards, I was stable in Sudan. Mm-hmm. Like that was it until I got to college age, like 17 or something, mm-hmm. and I left. Um, but my family is still there, huge family. And growing up in Sudan, you can see the transition. You can see oh, the decline totally. and remember like what things were when I was younger. And younger doesn't even mean a lot because it could have been like three years ago. Right. <laughs> versus the 2018. And when I came to 2018, yeah, things were more expensive. Things, you know, things were a little unstable, but weren't that bad. I came in a year later, 2019. December 2019, complete flip. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, a lot of the, one of the arguments against the revolution, basically what happened in December 2018 until April 2019 is people started protesting actively across the country on a daily basis, right? They were once again met with just waves upon waves of violence, right? Uh, you have the police out there, you have the military out there shooting people, shooting peaceful unarmed protesters, mm-hmm. right? But it didn't stop anybody. So until April, you have this steady wave of protests, 
and for the first time in 30 years, it's it's been sustained, right? I mean, in the past, we've More had sort of small surges, uprisings, right? But they didn't really. I mean, they were so quickly squashed that they don't even. I mean, people didn't even count them, right? I think was it 2007 or 2008 when uh, there was an attempted uh, attempted coup like Fil Qasr, and it literally lasted like one day. Because yeah. I remember, I don't know if you remember the what they used to call it, the American Club, now it's the Ameri- International Community mm-hmm. Club. Yeah, I was there during like basketball training or something, and <laughs> all of that went wild. down, and we had to wait, and it's like right next to the palace, next to the train tracks, and yeah, everything wild. went down. We're just sitting there like, okay, so when is this over? And you're just hearing all the right. violence and the nonsense, and I was like, what the hell is this? Well, I I remember the, and, but it was very bloody. The, the biggest, afterwards. the biggest, maybe the the most significant um, uprising was in 2013. And they, yeah, 20, yeah, yeah, 2013 was one of the the big uprisings and people took notice because of how violently it was dealt with, mm-hmm. right? The fact that it was high school kids who were out protesting and they were gunned down in the street in broad daylight. Like that was the thing that sort of, I mean, it was stopped, right? But it made people think that, okay, that that's enough of that, right? Enough is enough. So anyway, December 2018 is when our revolution started. In 2019 is when, uh, April of 2019 is when Bashir was finally removed from power mm-hmm. and replaced with Al-Burhan and this whole like... Transitional government. Right, transitional, well, a transitional council. Council. That eventually, through negotiations, becomes a transitional government. So for those who don't know, um, in time, in places where, you know, democracy is not really a thing, like they can't really host... <laughs> It's kind of like the last year. Yeah, let's just be real. Democracy is not this really is a thing. Really, yeah, Democracy no, facts, is not really a facts. thing. Um, the transitional government would kind of take, uh, it's a council that's sort of set up and ter- just waiting to see who takes over the country next. It could be it through sets, internal voting. Yeah, could be it through a little more up, strong-armed. But it sets things up for elections. Yeah. It like paves the way for free and fair elections. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> Unfortunately, that didn't happen. In Sudan's case, because it's usually like a two-year process, isn't it? It was supposed to be two years, then extended to four years, then here we are, right? Then, then here we are, twenty twenty-three. In April, uh, ironically, you had April twenty nineteen is when Bashir was removed. In April twenty twenty-three, when the RSF, the Rapid Support Forces, and the military, who were during this transitional period, were partners in ruling the country. Sure, I mean. They took over. <laughs> they they essentially took over. Um, but then that now they're against each other. Now they're each fighting for something. God knows what. It, it's uh, this reminds me of. This reminds me of, and again, probably weird comparison, but this reminds me of a uh, like a, a Justice League movie where at the end of it they say, "There's not going to be a prize." Right. There's not going to be a prize. There'll be no prize. There'll really? be no glorious victor. And I think about this. I'm like, what are you guys fighting for? Like, after all this is over, who's gonna? You're gonna sit there, like, stand up on TV, be like, we won, and look at basically a destroyed city. Uh, that's, that's so. Really it's just, <laughs> what are you looking for here? What is the end of it? I don't know. That's really um, what it maybe. Is. The, maybe there's some sort of behind the scenes promise. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I have a whole a whole bunch of conspiracy theories. Name on one. Give me, give me. What's, what's your most prominent this is one? Happening. That they're both in on it. They're it both, you know, they're doing this on purpose? They're doing it on purpose. For I what? Do, because a lot of the stuff that's happening doesn't make sense. So for a long time, we didn't know who started it, right? We just, people just woke up on April 15th and found them fighting. 
That's literally. Sarah, we're talking about Rujal Sudania from like the fifth. They were born in like the fifties. Like nothing they do makes sense. I mean, nothing they do <laughs> makes sense. There's a generation that whatever they do just doesn't That's make sense. That's true. But there are certain things about this conflict that are so bizarre. For example, I mean, just to give some like an overview of how it's been for the last four months. They're fighting on a daily basis. The fighting started in the capital, Khartoum, which has never really happened. I mean, there's never been... They an bombed the airport. That was first thing. Right, you hear that, they, the airport is bombed. We've never seen violence of this scale in Khartoum for all the reasons I mentioned, right? The government lives here. This is the capital city. It's where everything is centralized. The government doesn't have any um, advantage to destroying the city, Right. Eventually, the conflict spreads to other parts of the country, different cities across the country. But right now, it is concentrated in Khartoum over the last four months and in the West, in Darfur, making, like, basically resurging the Darfur conflict once again. What doesn't make sense is that these people are not fighting to protect anybody. I mean, both sides are saying, we're here to protect you guys, right? From who? We're I mean, here it was to, yesterday. We're here to protect you from them. And the RSF is like, we're here to protect you from them, but also we're here to bring democracy because there is no real democracy in Sudan, but we're the ones to bring it. But yep. they're actively <clears throat> attacking civilians, right? It doesn't, it 100% doesn't make sense. It I'm doesn't with you make there. any sense. And, and the military from day one started bombing the city from the air. Who does that? Who, like, annihilates civilians under the guise of, well, uh, uh, let me, let me, let me bomb from the... No. <laughs> like, you don't know what you're doing? <laughs> Basically, it's either you don't know what you're doing criminally, like you criminally don't know what I you're doing. Like, I feel like that makes a lot more sense. Or, you, or you're doing it on purpose. I'll give you my theory. My theory is that there is some sort of, obviously, you know, natural Sudan is natural resource heavy, right? Yes. Um, <clears throat> They did that with the South, especially like we had a good chunk of our oil was in the South. Also, right. there was then, you know, I don't essentially um, international community divided Sudan and then we split from North Sudan, to South Sudan. Right. I feel like there is external influence from other countries, some sort of I mean, promise to yes. whoever is on top. And, you know, they're stupid and decide to scramble over it. Yeah, I I agree with you about the external influence. There are a lot of different powers who have. Uh, you know, a vested interest in whatever happens in Sudan. You have the Europe who... America. Excuse me. Oh, <laughs> oh good Lord. You have, like, Oof. European powers who are using the RSF as their own, like, migration force, right? Anti-migration force. You have different powers in the Middle East, especially the Gulf countries that, like, use Sudan for farming and all sorts of other things. Like, yes, I agree. But there's also a... a like a version of this or an aspect to this that's just like, do you hate us? It's is, so, is that what it's it is? so like, crazy. Nothing logical do, comes do out of it. Do you hate Sudanese people? Like, do you hate your own people to the extent where you are okay with just, with our, just like our mass murder? I mean, think about what's happening in Khartoum right now. How the RSF is going door to door, robbing people, like looting homes, killing people who don't want to leave their homes, telling people to leave their neighborhoods. My whole neighborhood was evacuated. I don't mean evacuated as in the military came and says, hey guys, we need to keep you safe, so you need to get out of here. No, it's like, no, get, get the F the out. RSF came in and said, get out. Mm -hmm. I have friends whose house has been burned. And folks just, and folks had to leave. Like I saw a video of my neighbors leaving barefoot. They were crossing the bridge to Same a here. different city, like with just the clothes on their back. 
So guys, um, just to tell, just so we can go through, we're just going to go through and just really recap um, what has happened from like day one. So day one from now we're in the conflict, right? First yeah. day, airport gets bombed. Airport gets, gets bombed. bombed. No flights in and out. Everything's canceled. Right. Um, where were you in sort of state of mind? Because I think I was just waking up like for work and I'm just waking up to hella WhatsApp messages. You know, I... My family's there. My dad was stuck outside the country. You know, he had left. Um, he had traveled like three days, leaving my mom and my sister essentially by themselves at home. Wow. Yeah. I was... I saw the news of the airport getting bombed and I was like, eh, yeah, no, that's... We never believe anything coming out of school. I really don't. I really don't. Like, My first instinct is to say no. And then, like, wait on it. Remember when that bunker blew up? That bunker caught fire? We were living, like, Street 21, like, right on Airport Road. That's wild. And nobody believed it for a while. Like, we would see smoke and everything. And <laughs> just like, you see smoke, you're hearing explosions. Nobody believed it. Uh, sadly, I think one of our neighbors, like, a shell, like, fell into their house and, like, they died. Oh, that's awful. It was terrible. I think... Um, but again, in that time, nobody believed it until it was you could see it with your eyes and they were like, eh, whatever. I, 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 I didn't believe it. And then the more news came out and people saying that they were trapped in their homes and then video coming out of the airport and people being trapped in the airport as you can hear like bombs go off of planes that yeah, are like, active on the runway. That the, that's when I was like, oh, oh wait, nah, <laughs> but, this is it. What wait was what is this? And so that continues for a week for a week. People were just trapped I, I think after a week is when people started leaving the city leaving Khartoum right was it a week was it like a week I, feel like, I feel like it was two weeks I feel weeks. like the biggest wave was started a week into the conflict I mean oh, that's when it started becoming like mass because I think it was like mass yeah because I think maybe it was like two weeks in when my family started leaving I, I know people who left three days in smart well I want to say smart but depends, is, where, they, depends is, where they were it is smart because the First, so the first wave of people who left, uh, and we, here I'm talking about the capital, Khartoum. That's mm -hmm. where my family is, so that's what. The first wave of people who left went to Egypt, and they were able to get in pretty quickly. They were able to leave from Khartoum to get to the border, the Egyptian border, and then get into Egypt pretty quickly. That was like on the third week or something when people started leaving. At least and that's right, when my family started. It was exactly, like the third week. The beginning of the second and third week is when people start to leave in like the thousands. Yeah. And that's when you had people stuck at the border. That's when you had people... My parents got lucky. Well, my mother and my sister got lucky. They left yeah. relatively early in the migration, so they only got stuck like one night. Right. There are people who are there. I know people who are still there. Mm. I have cousins who, who like half the family got in and the other half are, is still waiting. And that's when you start to see, like, just how just how grimy people are towards Sudanese people, just to keep it a buck. Like, the fact that people were fleeing for their lives, and at the border it was like, well, do you have a visa? Well, actually, you need to pay it's to like, get in. You, I've, heur I've heard that. I've heard, like, oh, you need to get your passport from, you know, the I knew people yeah. who were in the process of, like, applying do you to visas. Right, do so you their have passports passport? were in whatever embassy of the country they were applying yeah. to. And they're like, well, you need to call them and get it back. I said, how, bro? They've been evacuated. It wasn't open before. Now it's definitely not open. Everybody's gone. A embassy employees left, uh, especially foreign employees, were evacuated very early. I want to tell you the story of the French embassy. That's because my mom and my sister um, have dual citizenship. So Did I'll tell you the story. It is hilarious. But just for the American audience, I want to just maybe um, help you guys conceptualize what this is like. So if you're, you know, especially from Arizona, 
we have what uh phoenix the main city and then you have you know chandler tempe scottsdale glendale all of that imagine you wake up one day sky harbor is bombed you're hearing on yeah. the news and Khartoum, essentially, like, the airport is relative to kind of like Phoenix in terms of, like, cl- very close to the center of everything. Yeah. Kind of like here. And you have the cities, like, the main city surrounding it. Right. And your family is now traveling. They're telling you, oh, um, Scottsdale is being bombed and taken over. Tempe's all messed up. People, there are tanks going around the street, like, up and down Rural and Mill Avenue and stuff. Like, try to conceptualize whatever street you're in. This is what... We're not talking about like Darfur definitely is a big state, but it's very far away from like the huge populations. But also, but just try to make it a little more real for you people like sitting here at home. But also imagine that like there are also people shooting actively at you. Mm -hmm. You're unarmed. You're running for your life and somebody's gunning you down. There are snipers all over the buildings. Well, I live in Glendale. I hear gunshots like on it. It is what it is, you know. (laughs) It's just it. It, it's like complete pandemonium. It's, yeah, it's absolutely wild. And then also, you have to worry about getting your... I think the the problem with making this understandable or comprehensible to, for the example, Americans, yeah, is that as Americans, we don't really think about visas. We don't think about... Yeah, limited transport. Yeah, like if I want to go somewhere internationally, go. I just go. Right. Even if I were to apply for a visa, it would take what maximum? It would take an hour online. You just fill out paperwork and you print it. Like certain places, you just print it. If 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 we're being wild with it, it's like a couple of days. But imagine in a Sudanese person's perspective, having to give your passport to an embassy and waiting three, four, six, eight weeks to receive any kind of response. Right. And then a war breaks out, and the embassy's like. Deuces. deuces right yeah. <laughs> like sorry gotta get out of here and then your stuff is just stuck in there so the, the embassy story um when my mother and my sister were getting ready to leave so they had i had sort of just gone online they had i told my mother scan all your paperwork and send that shit to me mm-hmm. like send me Smart. i need copies of everything in case you guys get stuck somewhere or don't have access to it you lose it and they were trying to reach out to the french embassy and sort of figure out like when there's an evacuation plan and everything this was a situation where I'm so glad I was wrong because it definitely, I want to say, I could kind of say could have saved, you know, my sister and my mother's life. They had, my mom and my sister had lost confidence in the French embassy. Mm. Right? And they're like, they keep saying they're coming. They keep saying they're coming. Stay on standby. We don't hear anything. So a, a friend of, a very close family friend was like, hey, we're putting together a little convoy, um, renting out a bus, you know, splitting all that, getting in. Um, and then we're going to go. We're going to drive to Egypt. We have the, everything set up. And that's real. A lot of people did that. A lot of people, yeah. And they did. And I got mad. I'm like, why are you doing this? It's much safer with, you know, uh, you know, you know, the French embassy and all of that. I, again, was wrong. The same day, um, my mom calls me and is like, hey, the French embassy reached out. And she was like, I don't know if we're going to go with them. And I'm like screaming on the phone. I said, just go, just go, just go. Eventually, they don't go. Mm-hmm. And... I was livid. My sister turns on her, uh, her uh, what's it called, location, and that's the only way I can track their progress. Like, they don't have any, right. they barely have any connection. The right. little connection they do have, just, you know, ping a little location on iMessage. I find out, like, half, uh, like maybe the, the next day, um, a day into their travel, I found out that the French embassy van that was supposed to have picked them up, like the convoy, 
um, they got shot at and somebody got shot in the van, in, like in oh my like part of the convoy, like in the vehicle. And I was like, that could have been my mom. That could have been my sister. That's I don't bad. know if they died. I don't think they died, but they definitely got shot. Like that was one thing. And I was like, man, I have never been so wrong and so glad to be wrong. And this is like, there's no security anywhere you'd go. Yeah. Like anywhere is a lose. After that, I just calmed down. I said, whatever they want to do, whatever makes them feel comfortable in right. their decisions, just let them do it because it's well, a lose-lose I mean, situation in any yeah. in any way. That was the thing. Like even people who had dual citizenship and were getting evacuated by their embassies, the embassies would say, you need to meet us at this place. Mm-hmm. We can't come get you. And so you're either way, you're facing incredible risk to yeah. try to get to anywhere, right? I, I, my my family, I don't I don't have any fa- uh, family who like any relatives who have dual citizenship. So everybody just had to make a way for themselves and get out of Khartoum, try to go to a different city, whatever. And I I have my cousin has like a really big family, right? And they were stuck in one of the the hot spots, like huge conflict zone. Basically, it was their building in the middle of an RSF like territory mm-hmm. there the people who who lived with them in the building all left it was just them stuck in their apartment rsf had taken over the building they're shooting they're, they're bombing from the air the, the military is bombing from the air they were stuck in there for maybe about i want to say 40 or 50 days in their home and when it came that's, time to leave my madness. cousin yeah my cousin decided we're just going to take our stuff we're going to take our furniture we're going to take everything we're going to get in a truck and we're going to go mm-hmm. And a trip from Khartoum to Medani should take maybe three hours if you're going slow. Took them 12 hours. Yes. Right? Because they don't want to attract any attention to themselves. They don't want to, you know, make any fuss at any of the, there are these checkpoints all over the highways, not just the military, but also the RSF. Mm -hmm. And the RSF is looking into the cars and being like, what do you guys got? Yeah. And my cousin, her her oldest is a, is a teenager and there were rumors that the rsf is forcibly recruiting boys to fight with them oh that did start actually like a month in or something yeah like that. and so my cousin is just freaking out that like she doesn't want to do anything that will attract attention to her son right so anyway eventually they make it safely to medini after 12 and a half hours maybe 13 hours of driving and everybody is traumatized. Imagine being in 40 and 50 days of constant bombing. And then in order to flee for your life, you have to organize all of that. You have to find the transportation. You have to go through these checkpoints. You have to sometimes pay. Sometimes people were robbed. Their stuff was taken. Some people, like I have relatives whose cars were taken at checkpoints. So they were just stuck in the middle of nowhere. And you're like waiting for somebody nice enough to let you hop on. Or or walk. Or right? walk, yeah. Because... You walk until somebody nice lets you to hop on. Right. Like, it, th- the stories coming out of Khartoum, and I, I mean, we're talking about the capital city because we're both, our families are there. Mm-hmm. So all of our information is, is from based there. On, based on the Khartoum experience. Right. But that's not where, this is happening in all of the other cities where fighting is happening, well, and worse. Well, actually, I want to say one of the cities where I was very surprised and my cousin fled there. He went south to El Gadarif, which mm-hmm. is close to the Ethiopian border. Yeah. And when he, when I looked it up, what was going on? He was sending me pictures. I, it's like this is a paradise. I said this is has El Gadarif is going right. to be the last paradise left. <laughs> in, you know, let's knock on wood or whatever. Let's not jinx it. But <laughs> El Gadarif is going to be the last paradise 
in Sud- in Sudan at this point because I don't yeah. know why. Um, you know, I don't know, and I I'm happy nothing's happening down there. But um, I think I feel like there were other people were really talking about leaving rather than advertising or sorry, not advertising. What's the proper word? I'll stick with advertising. Advert. <laughs> sorry, my brain is fried. No problem. Advertising is just the the safe sp- places within Sudan for those who can't travel, and I feel right. like that was a lost opportunity. Because everyone yeah. was saying, go to Port Sudan, go to, you know, Medini, go to, you right. know, um, uh, what's it called, the Egyptian border, all that. But um, just a reminder, guys, this is, Sada's family's experience is largely the experience of everybody. You know, I, my family, um, I can't tell you, my cousins went back, um, my cousins lived in England. They came back to Sudan. He, him and his sister, um, he hasn't, uh, my older cousin hasn't been back to Sudan in years. Came back a wow. week in. <gasps> Oh no! Everything hell, it, you know. She was just. I'm glad I was able to just you know talk to her on the phone and keep her calm. But imagine you know what they're going through. Their neighbor house is yeah. bombed. They're passing resources through the walls. Like you got to just shout at your neighbor. Like right. hey, you got anything you can spare? Water's out. Electricity's out. And I think that's, and that's you're just hearing gunshots and bombs. Like you're calling like hi auntie, hey cuz, <laughs> yeah. and you're just hearing and. You know, just sleeping on the ground. I feel for these people because that trauma will, you know, does come out later on. It doesn't. I don't think it. Yeah. It, it Whether you're here or there. It doesn't go away easily. And I think that's one of the things that that's why I'm so sad that there isn't coverage or the coverage that you see on the media about what's going on in Sudan is like, you know, it's like the, it's like the recaps I do. Okay. Oh, there's fighting here and there's fighting there. And there was a negotiation, but it fell through and then whatever. But it's very rare to get uh, coverage of like the real impact on mm-hmm. people, like people's actual experience. Because first of all, it's it's hard to comprehend, but I think if you don't hear about it, then you think that this is just a normal thing. Like, or, mm-hmm. or like, people oh, consider they're like, oh, this is just another African country being a, turmoil, an, an African right? country, right? So. Look they at them, them, them savages beefing all day. There. Exactly. Like, it's just, it's easy for that, for the Western world to be like, well, it's another, it's just another story. And that's real. Like, even if you think about the the difference in how people, you know, reacted to what's going on in Sudan and what happened in Ukraine, right? Like, this idea that, like, I mean, on the news, it was like, but they're just like us. Like, they drive cars like us, and they have whatever like us. How could this be happening to them? This was... I, I lost support for the Ukrainian people when they went to England and were complaining about, like, the neighborhoods they're in and all the like, color. Listen. And I was like, guys, England hasn't been hasn't been white for years. Like, you seen their gov- their parliament? It's There's not a single British person in there, okay? The colonies have taken... This is reverse... Yeah, this is reverse colonization. They have taken... The Indians and Pakistanis have taken over, and I'm all for it. Your your podcast is about to get dragged. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, let them get dragged. I lost all support. I'm like, how are you people... How are you people oppressed and not humble, ungrateful, still racist but that's within your story? Actually, I could care less. Sudanese people, like, I, I want to just give a shout out to the solidarity of Sudanese people and their generosity, like, throughout this whole process. Like, like you said, the coverage has mainly been internal. The coverage I followed were was the Twitter spaces, I think, have been the biggest for me because I I got I got kept in track. I was telling my family information. That's what like, I'm I was saying. telling my aunts in like, you know, Khartoum, too, which is a kind of like a smaller subsection of like in the city, in the residential like area in the city. I was telling them what's going on yeah. right now. Like I was telling people in Bahri, I'm like, hey, mom, you need to call such and such. Let them know because I heard this and this is going on in this neighborhood. 
like the solidarity of the Sudanese people and how they're able to really keep each other's spirits up. Like I never heard crying on that. Like it was all very encouraging. So yeah, shout out to the Sudanese people for just really just taking control, not being victims. Like, you know what? We're not going to wait for you guys to give us coverage on our own country. We're going to figure this out. Right. And this, I mean, and that's why I talk about the coverage because I think when, when the thing in whatever the stuff in Ukraine popped off because of the coverage, you saw like all of this outpouring of support. You had people donating. You had people flying over there to 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 be at the Polish border and 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 volunteer and do all this kind of stuff. But in the Sudanese context, we're doing all of this by ourselves. Yeah, it won't be people, my money. <laughs> it won't be my money. People immediately jump to help our own because we know that nobody's coming to save us, mm-hmm. right? All of the the uproar on Twitter and all of the hashtags and all of the coverage, even the coverage that we that we saw on international media, did very little, if anything, to get us the kind of support that we needed. And so, what is what do we do in the alternative? We have to just do it ourselves. Yeah, it's just so one of the, it's a very it's the it's the story of oppressed people. of the oppressed people. Facts. Like you know what? I'm not gonna wait for you. I'm not gonna wait for your charity. We're just gonna figure it out, right? Real talk. You know, and, and just even to now. bring it back to, to bring it back to you know the context on Lost in the Desert. This just again, um, I told Assam this when uh, you know when it first came out. I said, my guy, you know, we now have something really, really in common that we can both relate to because you know the Palestinian people have been doing this for years. Right. And let's not act like people have not even get people have, didn't just give up on the Palestinians. People right. are actually turning against them. They're like, eh, right, whatever, yeah. bro. Not not our issue. You know, now you guys are the bad guys. I'm like, bro, we got nothing. Right. How are we oppressing you? We have nothing to oppress you. And this is sort of, you know, now I, I fear and I hope, you know, no offense, but like we're not trying to get to that point because I feel like Sudanese, we, there's still hope. We're still in that early yeah. stage where there's still yeah. hope. And the only because this is an internal conflict, like this is Sudanese versus Sudanese, the only people standing in our way are other Sudanese. So the only thing is that this point is we can figure out like when I say other Sudanese, I mean like paramilitary Sudanese. Okay, yeah. No, 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 no. Okay. No, 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 no. The Sudanese people. Just to clarify, the Sudanese people (laughs) are all in united against this. It's the paramilitary. The only that's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, the Palestinians have you know the whole Israeli thing. Yeah, I think that's the sad part. Separate groups. Yeah, the sad part. We're all one group. We have to just get united at some yeah. point and this our only hope is to figure out like hey when and how will you know the paramilitary and the rsf sorry the paramilitary and the military um sort of unite get a common get well, a common I mean, goal i think that's to end this. that's the irony i think during the revolution people were i mean one of the the slogans right one of the things that people were actively protesting was the existence of this paramilitary in the first place the fact that we don't believe that there should be two separate militaries in one country that either you guys uh, merge into one which should have been right that that was basically one of the agreements that they made or you disband it right why do we need two separate militaries and so now that this is happening and 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 for the four years that people even within that transitional period when people were still protesting the existence of the rsf and the military sudanese military was telling those protesters, oh no, you have no right to protest this because they're a part of us and whatever and we're one big happy family. Now that they're fighting against each other, now all of a sudden, oh, the RSF is a terrorist organization and it's like, well, we've been telling you that for four years and you've been gutting us down in the streets for it. Like, well, which one is it, right? But I think that's the sad part about what's happening in Sudan right now is that it's, uh, it's, like you said, it's us doing it to ourselves, right? At some level, this is Sudanese people 
destroying the country that they should be building. Mm-hmm. Like Unfortunately, we, we have a yeah, we have we had a, a chance, h- and it we right. didn't blow it. Like the Sudanese people right, didn't blow exactly. it. Exactly. Like yeah. it only takes it only takes five people to you know a handful of people in a country with you know tens of millions to really screw things over. And we have a long <laughs> history of the Sudanese people like paying for the crimes of their governments right the mm-hmm. sanctions that the u.s placed on sudan for 30 years um were the result of the actions of al-bashir and his government that had nothing to do with the sudanese people and but we bore the brunt we couldn't travel we couldn't get economic opportunities we couldn't study we couldn't get scholarships we can't get technology like all of these things that people take for granted are things that we've had to circumvent for three decades right and now we had this small window of opportunity for us to be able to get out of that right the world is finally looking at sudan like okay you're no longer valuable right you're no longer the Mm -hmm. axis of evil which is what we were called again i don't think we were ever the axis of evil i feel like we were part of the axis of evil well i'm not according to the american according to the american government but realistically i just feel like we were no. i feel like we were we had resources and we w- weren't trying to share and play ball we had nothing <laughs> we had really? nothing no i'm saying in it, nothing that would place us on this axis of evil level like we you don't think that we had enough resources for external influence to be like let's try to destabilize and take over whether it's it? oil whether it's um uh, I, I found I it weird know. i just learned like coca-cola like is stressing because of us and that's well yeah that's because of the, the gum, gum arabic, arabic yeah. and i was like i didn't know like that was such a big deal i'm like oh yeah, shit because we we export we have 90 maybe 80 or 90 percent of the world's 80 or 90 yeah of the world, I think it's eighty percent of the world's Coca-Cola. It's about time to start lobbying. Comes I'm out not of Sudan. Per, I'm not paying more think, for, pe- but, for Coke. But listen, this about, is crazy. But listen to this. 90%? We have eighty or ninety percent of the world's gum arabic stock. We export eighty or ninety percent to the world, right? That what uh, exists in Sudan. But what are we getting out of it? Literally, there were headlines in the first couple of months that were like the the soda industry is in turmoil because the gum arabic yeah uh, gum arabic supplies are in jeopardy because of the war in sudan and it's like we have this much power and yet we are like one of the poorest countries in the world that doesn't make any sense and let's be honest the 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 drink industry the soda the pop drink industry whatever you want to call it is like what three four companies like that are that run like 80 percent of it and that was it's kind of like candy is like Mars runs like 90 percent of the candy. But also, that's newsworthy. Our lives, uh, you know, <laughs> being gunned down. Yeah, like over f- not, over a fucking Pepsi. <laughs> but Pepsi's <laughs> like, like, like Pepsi oh, wait, hold on. Let's look at what's happening over there. Because guys, just go go knock like Biden. This is affecting our sh- our share. I need you to like we can't afford to sell Coke at, you know, five dollars a bottle it's because of sad. this. You need to end the conflict in Sudan. Like this is how weird. This is how capitalism and like really international politics works. Like you have something somebody wants, somebody lobbies against it, destabilization starts, usually sanctions, right? Yeah. Usually starts with sanctions. And that's the thing, but sanctions don't even do anything. Yeah, they don't. 100% because listen, they did it for Bashir and didn't, didn't mean shit to him. And, those and people, 30 years later, the people still who have there. power are, are, can very easily get around those sanctions. A lot of them are dual citizens, so it doesn't even matter. Like, it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the people who who are most desperately in need for whatever are the ones who are limited by those sanctions. Like I said, there are, I have friends who, you know, couldn't get ahead in their careers because there are certain certificates that they need to, they can't get that they can't get because of U S sanctions on Sudan. What does that have to do with the government? 
Nothing. What does that have to do with me? So I'm tr- and let's and let's let's not act like Sudanese people are not highly educated. Like you want, they want to. It's kind of like the whole Africans are not like, oh, they're not educated. We all live right. in huts and stuff. It's like, yo, there's like five of them like that, and it's all like specific tribes. And that's the Sudanese thing. Sudanese like, people are highly educated. You have hella enge- like engineering, dentistry, like medicine. Those are huge fields the Sudanese people yeah. come from. And even if we weren't, even why? if we weren't, why? Yeah, why are we not? But like, I just want to like move that stigma that we're not valuable to the world. No, like, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying even if we weren't, I mean, we are a highly educated nation but even if we weren't we uh, we wouldn't be because of all the limitations placed on us that for things that are outside of our control when you support a military government when you support the rapid support forces and you give them 30 million dollars like the eu did to act like border control so that african migrants don't come into europe you are participating in our oppression Right. And then you say, oh, well, these people uh, are, you know, live in political strife and whatever. They can't be trusted. So we got to put all these, uh, you know, cons- constrictions on them. Can't be trusted with what? Just to live? They just want to breathe. You're, bro. Put them in a b- you're doing it, though. You're actively you're causing contributing that. to it. Exactly. You're causing it to keep persisting. I and feel so like if they invested that money in in just sort of aid and when i say aid not like sending them packets of food like you know the un does like if, like if okay you can feed them but that's not the end of the problem that's not going to feel the end game like if you worked on d- actual honest development of those nations instead of pillaging them for resources right right you the migrant issue people don't not all you know newsflash guys not all immigrants and migrants want to be there right like some of them they, they want to be in their home countries yeah but are forced that's kind of part of the problem like, it's like wealthy people, like wealthy migrants want to be there. To Poor me, migrants want to be home. It's and if you guys the money. You know, didn't pillage their country of resources and destabilize, they wouldn't be in your borders. To me, it's keep the money and take away the constrictions and see what yep. happens. See what happens. See what happens when people are able to have access to knowledge, technology, and um, opportunities. See what they do in their own countries. They won't need you. But you need them but to need you. But that's the problem. They need, right. You need them to need you. And I was going to say, don't even, they have the access to knowledge they have. The resources to do something with it, they don't. Even the, I mean, even the access to knowledge, they have, the, what what they have is out of their own ingenuity. Yep. And not because it is afforded to them exactly. like it is to the rest of the world. Uh, the, what's the point of an engineering degree if you don't have the tools to, you know, use it? Right. You know, like that's basically Sudan. Like you have all of these. You know, highly yeah, educated people right. with no resources, no tools. Brilliant like minds all these, with no access. Exactly. Brilliant minds. Like you have all these doctors and limited hospitals. Like where do you want them to do? Right. But but but, but here's the kicker. When Sudanese doctors go elsewhere, because they're used to working under such like dire. <laughs> Life is easy. <laughs> yeah. Circumstances. It's so easy. They excel. Because they know so many things that doctors who are used to having everything afforded Hand to them. Hand it to them. They're like. Oh. Right. Well, let's uh, let's bring it back just to give shout out. So um, are there any people, any resources, any people who are still currently um, resources for people who are to diaspora to help family mm-hmm. back home, people who are there, people who weren't able? Do you know of any resources, um, anybody you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, I, I really want to mention earlier we talked about how, uh, you know, Sudanese people have had to save themselves essentially mm-hmm. in the absence of any sort of international support or any significant international support. And one of the ways, I mean, there are so many ways that Sudanese people have rallied to help each other, both internally and from outside. One of the ways is the formation of what are called emergency response teams. Mm-hmm. And they're essentially just neighborhood committees, people, young people 
who have come together to provide um, medicine, food, water, all of the needs of their communities for the people who are still trapped in in these you know in in cities where fighting is happening. Okay. You also have uh, initiatives that people in the diaspora have created to sort of fund what's happening on the ground, right? Um, uh, one such initiative is Home Tax Sudan. It's a group okay. called Home Tax Sudan, which basically in the beginning, what they were doing was collecting money to directly help people who were trying to leave or people who needed food, who were, had run out of money or resources or people who were trapped in their homes by themselves, the elderly. They were... Um, collecting donations to then send to those people directly. So basically directly helping families and uh, individuals in need. Eventually, Home Tax Sudan grew to support initiatives. And the main initiative right now that they're supporting is called uh, Save a Janina, which is uh, a group that is helping refugees in Chad. Okay. So. We talked. I mean, we touched on it a little bit. The fact that this conflict is also taking place in West Sudan and Darfur, and a big percentage of people from West Darfur have had to flee to into Chad, which is on the border between Sudan. I mean, on the border with Darfur, right? And Central Africa, I think. Chad is next uh, to Central, like between yeah, the borders yeah, and Central between. Africa. Because mm -hmm. I've been there, and it's Central Africa's hell. Right. So, the people who have fled to into Eastern Chad are. You know, they, they went in there and there's nothing. There are no organizations. There's very little international support. The Chadian government is also dealing with very their meager resources, conflicts. right, and their own situation. So um, this Save a Janina initiative is helping people to build housing for them. Right now, I think their first and main um, project was to build clinics because, again, this is happening and there's like this backdrop, this environmental backdrop we talking about uh hurricane hillary here in like in the u.s okay but in sudan you have the rainy season which is getting worse and worse each year because of climate change and the rainy season hitting and floods hitting when people have literally they're sitting just out in the open so people are stuck uh being exposed to the elements save Guinea is doing things to help people get um through that. Medical care, but also, yeah, to get them situated okay. while this thing plays itself out. Right. Yeah, so Home Techs uh, Sudan are doing amazing. Save a Janana is doing amazing. Um, mm. And these are these are initiatives that people can actually donate to. Got you. There's also organizations like uh, SAPA, which is the Sudanese American Professionals Association or Physicians Association. Okay. Don't quote me on the name, child, but... <laughs> They Sapa is. Um, we'll put the links. We'll put yeah, the we'll links put, in. Uh, you put the links when in. we put it in uh, when we uh, release the show. But right, but they're they've been. I mean, they're. Um, <laughs> I think it is physicians listening because they're they're doctors. They're they've been collecting donations and also doing a lot of work. Not just. I mean, they're doing work on the cha on the in the refugee camps on the Chadian border. They're also doing work in different parts of Sudan, including Khartoum helping uh, hospitals by getting them su uh, supplies, medical supplies, emergency supplies, whatever. Mm -hmm. So they've been doing excellent work. They are also accepting donations. Um, so people can, you know, look them up and, and see what they're, what kind of, uh, you know, work they're doing. But the problem, I think, when we think about donating, in the American Western per 
perspective, we're thinking about vetted, huge organizations. We're thinking about the UN, or we're thinking about, you know, um, organizations here in in America that might have big names, recognizable names, right? right? In Sudan, we don't have that kind of infrastructure. I mean, you have the UN doing work. You have organizations like Doctors Without Borders, which is doing amazing work. You have the Norwegian um, Council that's doing incredible work. Oh yeah, I've heard I've heard the Norwegian Council. They're, they're doing they're such amazing right. work, in this, including in mental health, which is the something. Scandinavians are just a, are just great people in general. Listen. Except for, you know, the Swedes. They screw us over with IKEA. <laughs> I won't get into that. No, <laughs> I've lost hella money on that. But in Sudan, the people who are doing the work are not, are by and large uh, groups that have come together on their own. They're small mm. initiatives. They're it volunteer initiatives. Right, they're grassroots organizations. They're not, they don't have governmental backing because of all the things we talked about. The fact that the government doesn't give two shits about us. Like, it's, it's people for people, right? It's the people doing it for themselves. And so when you have uh, companies that, I, like I, I was just talking to somebody the other day who was saying, oh, I, my company wants to donate to an organization in Sudan that's working on the ground. Who can we donate to? And I'm like, well, you know, because I know that these big companies don't want to donate to small groups. They don't want to do donate to an emergency response team because they don't see them as it's legitimate. Not mar- it's not, not just legitimate. It's also not marketable. And it's not marketable, right. but like those are the people who are doing the work in Sudan. Believe that's what that's the industry like I work in, and I know for a fact like ninety percent of these companies are full of, full of crap. Like well, when it comes to donations, it's either you know um, taxes, it's either right. brand recognition, yeah. like either yeah. leading up to the new product they released or something I mean, like yeah, that. Yeah, let's like, not kid ourselves. They're not yeah, doing let's it not kid ourselves. Of, Believe me, hey, still keep donating. Like I'm, you know, whatever, you know, however, however we get to the pot of gold. How, however we you know, get the money, still we benefiting get it. from right. that, but you know, don't. It's it limits your it, it also my issue with that is that it limits people donating to more efficient means like you yeah. donate to the biggest names but not necessarily the one that's doing the most or the one in need right, right. so that's, yeah that's keep donating but yeah. i definitely will continue giving you guys a I side mean, eye the ones that th- th- these like these initiatives these big initiatives that i've talked about these g- big groups that i've talked about are really so you know helping to support people on the ground but it's just sad to me that you know it's hard to understand the context of Sudan. It's complicated. People don't understand that over the last, you know, let's just say over the last four years since the revolution, the people, I mean, the the, the help, any development that's happened has happened because people willed it, right? Grassroots organizations, uh, neighborhood committees, resistance committees have come together to do that work, the work that otherwise the government should be doing, and in any other place a government would be doing, is work that regular civilians are doing for themselves across Sudan. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting the legitimacy and the recognition that they deserve. And unfortunately, uh, foreign governments also don't recognize that kind of grassroots work. They don't see it as being actual development work. Like they're um, throughout the whole process, they're literally neighborhoods of people. Like it's on, on from Twitter to you know WhatsApp groups, and it's just people yeah. like, "Hey, who knows a doctor?" Literally, and the responses come like this, literally. and you'd be surprised. Like when I I saw one was like, "Hey, who knows a doctor?" I have a family member with like a broken leg, live on like the seventh floor. Shit is going around, like down all the way downstairs. We need to get him out, get him to a hospital. And I think within like two hours, mm-hmm. homeboy was out. And I said, "How did they get to this? How did this like?" come out so even quick the, even the like, evacuations that we were talking about earlier when people were trying to evacuate to different cities or evacuate into egypt like there were groups 
that were just volunteering to organize that for people, to find transportation for them, to get them out safely, to look for people who are missing, like all of this stuff that we think of massive organizations or in the States thinking about like um, the National Guard doing, right? Or the police doing, where things that just regular, regular folks- People do every single yeah, day, which are, are somehow are costs, continuing to do. costs people and taxpayers here like millions. And even I'm like, why do you need all this money? Like I have seven Sudanese people right now in some random neighborhood will get all this done. In the beginning, like, the this first is how great weeks, like the Sudanese solidarity is. Yeah, when people, even when, when like foreign dignitaries were trying to get out, they were getting those volunteer groups to help them evacuate. <laughs> yep. Are you for real? It's getting Ahmed and Saif <laughs> and Murtada <laughs> from the neighborhood. Literally. <laughs> Yo, call up, get on WhatsApp. We yeah, need X, Y, and Z. You, like, we need these resources. Us? Like, yeah, the Sudanese, the Sudanese solidarity is great. It's it's a situation, I think, unlike any other that I've seen I think it will bring the country like, even stronger. And I told my sister this. I said, whenever this is done, That's why it's whoever so comes out on top, they're going to get fried. Because they're going to be exhausted from fighting, resources, right. and mentally, and the Sudanese people are going to be pissed. Watch them run back from whatever but also, country they were in. It's so, that's why it's so upsetting that Sudan is where it is. Because if you just think about how genius and how creative and how diligent people are, right? And so how determined they are. Like, if you could maintain, if whole neighborhoods could maintain off of just volunteer work. Imagine what they could do if they actually had the opportunity to build, right? This is just people trying to survive right now. I think this is for the better. I think it's tough now, but I think this is means there's still so many people and supporters of a Bashir and we're part of that regime and that that mess that was created who are still trying to and I oh, think this yeah. is I think this whole process in the we, long like term I will said, weed so them out. Conspiracies. Yeah, I feel so like it'll just weed them out. They'll they'll tear themselves apart. Right. Hopefully. And hopefully now we have a next generation that's ready to really step up and motivated and fried. And we have a, you know, yeah. sadly, we do have a blank slate now that just needs to be rebuilt. Yeah. And it's, it's reality. Yeah. We ha- there's Sudan right now, especially Khartoum, the main capital is just sort of in, in ruins and it's a blank slate ready to be rebuilt. But I think the question now is <clears throat> how do we get this to stop? So that people may rebuild. You know what I mean? Like I think I we think talked about this briefly. It's just hypotheticals at this yeah, point. Yeah, at this point. Like, I mean, at this point, nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows. Yeah. I'm, to me, I think a lot of people are arguing, you know, we need to, they need to get on the negotiation table, right? This is not going to stop unless they negotiate with each other and try to come up to, to some, with some deal to stop the fighting. A lot of people are also against that. Because it's like, well, you've done all of this damage, especially like the RSF, like none of you should be here. But specifically the rapid support forces, we don't want to negotiate with these terrorists, these people who are have terrorized the country for five months, who have looted, who have killed people in their homes, who have taken over their homes. My home is no longer mine. They Our actually neighborhood is no longer live Our in my like house three weeks now. Ago. Right. Like, how do you negotiate with somebody who has done all this to you. Why would we allow them to have a seat at the table? No, no, we just need them to calm things down so right. people get, like I said, whatever, however this ends or pauses, right. the Sudanese people are, are, are just, are already rallied. They're already waiting. I can just, you just tell through the conversations. Yeah. And they're wet, ready to tear up whoever's left. Oh, absolutely. And that was the argument too. Like, we just they're need probably the afraid RSF. now. They're like, we fucked up and we, we can't We need the stop. RSF to be defeated we can deal with the military later because we've dealt yeah. with them before. I think that was one of the main arguments that people were making uh, in the beginning. Probably because the now, military has 
a little bit more self-control. They have the RSF assuming. really assumed, yeah, assumed a little bit more self-control. Like they I have, agree with they that, have the safe face to a certain extent. Right. The RSF not really. I feel like that's what people think. To me personally, I think they're both, oh, yeah, they're both shameless. <laughs> I think they both will do whatever it takes. Well, we're talking about the lesser of two evils. There's no, right. nothing. There's no prize. Again, there's no prize. Right. Exactly. There's there's no prize. Yeah. It's very disappointing. I want to say this and might be a little controversial. Like I remember when I went to the protest here that happened in Tempe. Mm-hmm. Um, it was concerning how we couldn't. Um, they were told like not to. And shout out to. I won't bring any names. I don't want to drag you guys into this drama, <laughs> but you all know who you are. Um, shout out to the ladies who basically ignored all that. They were um, there were people from like the Sudanese center here who were actively against like ch- making chants against the RSF and against because they're like, oh, some people might be some. We have some people that are, like you know kind of in support. And we don't want to ruffle any feathers, and we don't want to oh, ruffle any feathers wow. against the people who are supporting. You know, Hemeti or Burhan. Like you couldn't mention their name in the protest. Right. You just have to chant like That's no wild. justice, no peace, you know, all That's of that. Like I lost wild. my voice for a while. And I said, screw this. I'm not going to keep doing this. But it was like very it became very aggressive. They're like, oh, this is the this is proper. Like these microphones are property. You use them the way we want. I said, what the fuck is this? And I shout out to the girls who said, fuck that. And right. they just kept chanting. Good for <laughs> and them. They meant, and they they called out Hemeti and Burhan by name. But it's very dis- it's very disconcerting that there were Sudanese people, especially within the community here. This is why I don't go to that center. I don't got no time for that. <laughs> so keep me away. I am Sudanese all by myself. Yeah, I. But it was. It's very like. Do we have? Is do we have instances of that outside of here? Because th- oh, this is the only. That's the only space where I've seen any sort of support. You um, know, for either force, it's usually I just screw both of you. I can't. Well, I do think there are plenty of places where people are actively rooting for the military. And not just in terms of like they're the lesser of two evils, but like Actively. This, we're so proud, you know. That this, it's like the I can kind of get that, you know, kind of. I, I get it on a national pride level. Not even that. I get it on a desperate times call for desperate measures, measures okay. level. That too. But I think if people took a step back, it's hard to take a step back and look at things objectively, and I think it's hard to to divorce emotion from what's going on right now. But I think if people just took a little step back, they would. We have such a problem with like this goldfish memory of as soon as something new happens, we forget everything else that happened before. We we just got done protesting and dying to get rid of 30 years of military rule. Not for you to turn around and say, oh, our military is beyond reproach. Nope. We have to support them. If you support them, if you don't support them, then you're against them. That's wild to me. Yeah, it was wild when I heard those chants. It's like spitting in the face of everybody who died in the revolution and before the 30, 50 years before of military, brutal military rule. Like, at some point, we have to keep it real. We yes, have to, like, is. be realistic. I'll just I say would, maybe, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I was, I'm just going to say that, like, am I uh, rooting against the Sudanese military winning? Absolutely not. Am I going to just like forgive all of its crimes because of what yeah, what's no. happening right now? No, they are part of the reason why we are where we are. They're right now. part of the problem. I'm definitely all right. for the lesser two goals. I just want. Totally, totally, I yeah. just want. I would rather. It would be easier. I feel like it would be easier for these Sudanese people to deal with the military than the RSF just because again like you yeah. said we've dealt with them before yeah, right there are, right yeah, they have to be account they're they're part of law so there's a little bit of accountability they have to pretend to have 
the RSF doesn't. Right. Um, yeah. I would. I think it would just be easier for to just have them deal with the the RSF instead of the sorry the military instead military. of the RSF. Yeah. I, yeah. I, so I that's mean, the level that. of support. But when they were telling us like when they were telling us at the protest because I had you know the mic and I was also like you know leading chants as well. We were rotating, and. When they That's were just telling them, like, no, 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 you can't That's mention, so you can't mention, I think somebody said, uh, uh, Burhan was Khan or something like something right. like that. And they're like, no, 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 we can't chat. You know, there are people who might be in support or something. And I'm just like, my guy. Go away. Yeah, no. So I had this old dude. I said, "Go away." I said, "Just tell them you're not going to." And that's the, literally the girls were like, "No, no, no. Yeah, we're not going to do this." And turned around and then immediately continued the chat. That is so wild to me. Yeah, it was completely wild. Like, I mean, but, ugh, yeah. Not mentioning the ending on a. Insane. I want to like obviously you know we're running out of time. We still have a little bit of time, but um, I want to just Sudanese people are also the most hilarious to me because Listen. in that time and I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about in that time the videos that came out of Sudanese people giving zero you know shits at the time how are you breaking fast during Ramadan in front of tanks and people like wild. their videos <laughs> this is how Sudanese people are so unserious and I love them for it We're wild. they're on in the middle of the street like and this it's not just one video it's like a very consistent thing like they will go outside to break fast Even on today. the mats eating and everything and you're seeing gunshots and tanks going at yeah. it like you know a street away and they're just watching they're like and I'm like even today you guys are you guys are the shit you guys are g's you guys people are really real this is amazing but also you guys are out. unserious people will put their chairs out <laughs> in front of their homes and watch it like it's a game it's I'm like, is this survival? Like, are we just so desensitized? Yeah, are we so desensitized that like <laughs> it really does not matter? <laughs> it's wild, but also like the memes, the way that we've been handling this war Which with coming from the darkest Sudan. humor. This literally coming from like America, like Sudanese. The diaspora is not making these. Absolutely, the diaspora not. is laughing I'm at these. Crying. And circulating. I'm like devastated, and people in Sudan are are making like TikToks of just the funniest <laughs> shit you could ever imagine. It's like, are y'all okay? Are we okay? Well, we're not okay. You know what? At some level we're not. But I love I love that. I love that. I love that like, like humor is our way to cope. You, and you know yeah. what? we're getting both of it done. Like some people are making us laugh and just you know putting out the the better the wins. And then right. other people are like, you know what, we're gonna deal with all this trauma. And so for the rest of y'all put out keep putting out these videos. <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, yeah. Homeboy dancing and celebrating. I think I saw a wedding once outside. Like, I said, well, yeah. the priorities. Some of the things that have happened in this war have been so yeah, surreal. The videos that just come out, it was just crazy. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to. The ones that are just people just praying in the middle of the street, like group yeah. prayers. It's beautiful to see. Like, your dedication to your yeah. to your religion is incredible because I promise you, that I, I am not praying in groups. I'm, I can, you, can, you know, you can still pray inside, right? Like, this right. group could have been inside. Also that. <laughs> yeah, this group could have been inside. You didn't need to be out here. And you're seeing, like, tanks fighting. You're seeing, like, just fly over, like, in the backgrounds of these, like, a lot of these, like, uh, videos that people are, like, reporting out. Um, Beautiful to see. Hilarious. But also just kind of shows. So these people are tough been oh, yeah. been there been there done that yeah right That's, we are if it's anything we're resilient if anything we are a resilient people and i i want better for us but i'm glad that we're somewhat able to hold on and i really just you know just to the diaspora i know because you're not in there you some of y'all may not feel that your opinion your voice really matters that much it you does got, yes we our voice is the one that you know the international community hears and sadly that's kind of you know 
our voice is the one white folk listen to, sadly. So that's really it. This is it is what it is. Yeah, and I mean, I get it. I get that. Like, <laughs> this is a huge emotional burden. It's a. It's had a massive toll on us mentally, emotionally. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to tell people what to do. I don't want to tell I, people what. I, I, I'm with you. I don't. Yeah. Don't want to tell people what to do. Yeah. But if you can do it, right. really think about like. Can I really do this or do I not want to do yes. this? Like, just think about that. I'm not going to shame you for not doing it, but yes. take a pause. And more importantly, so you guys who left Sudan and made it out to Egypt, made it out to Saudi, made it out to Gadarif, all these like places. Don't just forget. Don't just start your new lives and forget about Sudan. You know what? I I'll, I don't I think in this at this point. I disagree. Yeah, you can say I you think, can say you're wrong, Kadim. No, I don't think you're. I, th- I think I mean your your opinion is valid. Let's let's well, say just that. not forget about the place. <laughs> but I think people who left, people who escaped, I don't hold them to any sort of uh, like I don't I don't attribute any responsibility to them because I think they are dealing with a lot. The fact that you okay. have to like rebuild your life, the trauma that you came with, the you know trying to figure out your situation, they they have a lot on their plate. Me, to me, I think the responsibility, a lot of it falls on people who were not there, right? People like us who fair enough I'll give are you that. in the safety of where we're at, right? I think. I don't want to say we have a responsibility because at the end of the day, it's it, it depends on how you feel about Sudan, right? Not not all of us have that connection to that to to the country. Not That's all true. of us feel like we owe that place anything or we feel any sort of like belonging to that place. But I think if you do, if there's any part of you that feels a sense of belonging or a connection, or you have people there that you care about, I feel like. Whatever you can do, you should do. I think a lot of people just feel like, well, what's the point? Mm-hmm. If I talk about it on Instagram, what's the point, right? right. If I donate They're like, oh yeah, Sada's, ten dollars, what's Sada's the point? gonna let me know what's going on. I'm good. <laughs> no, it's right. not even that. You're gonna it's send like, me the link. <laughs> I think people just think that it doesn't matter. That like, there's no impact to it. There's no real benefit to it, and and they would be wrong. Right. They would absolutely be wrong. I guess Sudan. I feel like a lot of. St- so Arizona, to last I, last I checked on the stat, had I think it said that, that we were the third largest Sudanese immigrant group. Are I we? think in in Arizona, sorry in uh, in the U.S. My bad, in the U.S. Really? And I think like behind D.C. and like Minnesota or something. Like one that's of them. Crazy. Like that's the last time I read that stat. It was like maybe a year or two ago, and I was like, I, we're I the third. Lo- we're the third largest Im- Sudanese immigrant, like Sudanese like community here. Like, that's immigrant so community. interesting. So I mean, I believe it. There are like, a lot of us. And here. if you think about it, that I kind of I kind of I buy it. Yeah, like, I believe I buy it. it. There's I mean, not that many Sudanese people traveling around this place anyway, so let's not act like there's like a million of them in Minnesota. Right. No, it's probably like you know five thousand versus two thousand. Right. I think the <laughs> biggest, the biggest is probably the DMV area, and then probably Glendale. Like I, you'd be surprised how many South Sudanese I see in Glen in my on my at the really? fries at the fries at the corner of uh, 43rd, so and, 43rd and forty third and Bethany. See any Sudanese? People. No, and I and I know they're South Sudanese, and I and I hear them talking. And I said, I know you're South Sudanese. That's I know so into Sudanese. I in don't my, see any Sudanese people, and I don't see any South Sudanese uh, people. Glendale, it's very rare. Glendale, all all over. I see them. That's so interesting. But um, here in our diaspora, like we can, I know, we, I know you guys have a com- connection to the Sudanese community, right? If you talk about it all day and you rep it all day and you know we all meet each other and we're That's all we're all connected, I know you have it. Let's not. I know act we're all like talking it about it at home, so you could talk about it 
online for like yeah it's like this is kind of why i did the show like i didn't want to do the show from the perspective of educating other sudanese people fuck that we already know we already know what it is like this show was really this episode i you know we talked about it yesterday i want this for the perspective uh for the american perspective for the non-sudanese perspective for Mm -hmm. people who don't know what's going on like and there's so many of them yeah there's so many of them because there's more of them than us but it's not even that. It's because, like, like we said before, there's zero coverage. So yeah. even the people who who do make it a point to what, three like, pages down on keep CNN, up, right? Keep up to with like world affairs or whatever are not hearing about it. Yep. Like I'm not seeing this pop up. Like I'm seeing random news pop up on like my Instagram feeds and, I'm and my YouTube feeds. I'm also not seeing my non-Sudanese friends talk about it. Oh either. yeah. I remember I told uh, when this started, I told Assam, I said, hey, you know, my Palestinian friends, we see your silence, my guy. Like, we see your silence. Like, my free Palestine, like, dep- my free Palestine chants might get a little quieter after this if I don't hear nothing. I'm not going to drag you know, any but, specific uh, loud, community. But luckily, I'll give them, luckily, I'll give them a, uh, no, call them out. Call but them we, out. we tend to, co- we tend to show up and show out for people. Yes, we who do. don't show, out show for up us. or show out for us. That was and actually part sad. of uh, that was actually part of our uh, friendships and relationships episodes. Like, do your friends really? Do you ride for Ooh. your friends more than they ride for you? I think it went like live when we we're recording this today, but you guys won't see this till like what Saturday or something. Well, but um, yeah, that's hundred percent true. I will say, you know, thankfully, you know, my Palestinian friends have shown out. So shout out to y'all. Shout, but, out to you. you know, shout out to them. To the rest of you guys, look at your friends from other places. Yeah, right? like just because I mean, this is happening to you. You're not in it. But it is happening to you as a Sunni person. Any Sunni person who has people yeah. back home or any connection to Sudan, this is happening to you at some level. Uh, and if your friends are not getting that, yeah, I don't want to hear. Right. I don't want to hear. For, I don't want to hear free Sudan once Coca Cola starts lobbying because the, the gum <laughs> right. Arabic and now you guys are paying seven dollars a Coke bottle and, and it, um, Powerade is super and Prime is right, too expensive. So, so I don't want to hear that when gum Arabic hits you. Powerade's when the resources to go down for people to care. Well, that's kind of if you think about it, that's kind of what happened to gross. you know within Ukraine as well. Like yeah. Ukraine, it was free. Ukraine, 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 and then everything got expensive. Because, you know, Ukraine, especially right. in technology, because Ukraine had a lot of um, minerals that are used in technologies making for making chips, like for computers and stuff like that. Once the, all that started to hit, then the tone shifted. You know, do we free right. Ukraine or do we help, you know, Russia's take so we can stabilize all of this? Like, <laughs> what's the deal? Just, right, should we dead this? Right, do we dead this? Do we just, like, you know, squash this? Damn. So, yeah, Capitalism I think this was a... I think this was a productive episode. A good, you know, a good spot to end yeah. it. <laughs> thank Absolutely. you so much, Sada, for showing no up. Like, really appreciate it. Me. We gotta go to the Ethiopian restaurant again. Yes. <laughs> when did we go? Is it just after uh, just quarantine? after COVID? Yeah, when yeah, they started opening cor- stuff Man. up. Man, <laughs> oh, that was what, great. What a blur! But yeah, so what we're going to do, guys, when we release this, I'm gonna put a link in um, in the for the, the for you for the YouTube page for the YouTube video when it launches and the Spotify for those who want to listen to the audio. It'll take you to our page's link tree, and there will be a document um titled sudan uh, sudan resources um that you guys can open and check on um to really just see if there's anything you can help i even have there's a whatsapp there's a whatsapp group for people who have pets that need to be checked up on yes that was crazy i saw that today and i said man so these people like, really thought oh, of everything wow we really have covered everything i usually thought i Shout thought sudanese people i thought sudanese people would have just been like man screw your dog Screw your Me cat. Me too. I was really surprised. And people these people are, are like risking life to go check on, check on your cats and stuff. evacuating cats and dogs. That's I was like, oh, okay. Like our dogs are stuck back home. Um, oh. And uh, you know they're being looked after. Like we have somebody there's you oh, know help good. look after, and we try and we have our resources in order to just like send them money and food. Yeah, and I didn't stuff. know Sydney's people were animal lovers like that. I really yeah. didn't. I was surprised. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. 
Because I think like typically like especially like dogs like I think mus- like Muslim nations aren't really yeah. fan of dogs Not because they're dogs. because they're technically like, unclean right. so you can't like have them inside the house and but like even, pray even and stuff. But even cats like I didn't know people. So these people had treat cats, cats like, like, shit. like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I was cats. like, y'all y'all have like pet cats. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm surprised. Like I'm surprised honestly. I'm, I'm kind of lucky. My dad like made it out before. Because my dad is one of the few Sudanese people who, like, one of the few members who do not want, like, foreign passports. <laughs> and we were joking with him. I said, Dad, you know, you got, your ass would have been stuck here. Right. <laughs> so we would have had mom and, sa- mom and Sarah Man. dip and you would have been stuck here. <laughs> so he got lucky, like, two, three days. Literally, like, two, three days before, so you know, amazing. went for, like, a work trip. Boom. Everything gone. Now he's stuck. My dad went to Sudan in December and he wanted to stay until April and for whatever reason, I was like, no, that's nope. too long. You need to come back. You're by yourself, like whatever. And he ended up coming back like. in, in February. So a while ago. But I was like, had he stayed until April like he was supposed to? Oh, my God. No, it would have just been Yeah, I can't even madness. imagine. But, yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate um, to the people who stayed and listened to the very end of the show. Um, this has been episode 21 of Lost or 22 of Lost in the Desert podcast. All right.